Perfect timing, that was. Okay. Good afternoon, watch fans, and welcome to episode 49 of Fratello On Air. RJ and I are about to analyze the most exciting releases from some of the biggest brands attending Watches and Wonders this week. RJ, how are you doing? I'm fine, and you? Yeah, I'm all right, I'm all right. It's been a busy couple of days for the whole team, of course. We've been uh, working from pillar to post, but we've managed to cover most of the novelties so far. We've got a few more yet to come, but uh, so far, so good, I think. You've enjoyed it, I guess? Yeah, yesterday was a bit crazy, as you say. Today is a bit more relaxed. I think also, um, compared to previous years, we were at these events, so uh, we covered the brands that we visited during the day. Um, and this time with a digital event is totally different, of course, because we try to cover as much as possible, meaning that yesterday we published how many articles? 37, I believe. Oh, wow. I think that's the most that we ever published on one day. I remember the days that we published 37 in a month. That's not too long ago. Well, there you go. I mean, it's a good sign from our perspective, I suppose, that we're growing at that kind of rate. But uh, it's been a very different experience for all of us. I've actually stayed out of the majority of the product presentations that have been taking place in these digital booths that every brand has been setting up, simply because someone has to be there um, with their hands on the keyboard to write rapid response articles to these, these novelties. We obviously want to be some of the first people breaking this news. But for you, having attended these uh, digital sessions in in, uh, in lieu of the physical ones that we're more accustomed to how have you found it what, what do you miss out on the most i i had an interesting uh, interview this morning with wilhelm schmidt the ceo of lange und Söhne. lovely guy and yeah and um i asked him the same question basically as you are asking me now and he said the only thing that's missing is that um you don't see the reaction of people to the watches, and that's his response. And you are not able to try the watches on the wrist, and that's that's uh, something that I think weighs in a lot. Because uh, during these presentations, you have to understand the listeners um, that have never been to Basel or uh, SIH or any of these events. Often it's like a big uh, room where there's a little stage and there's a presentation going on and you just watch a video or someone presenting the watches but a lot in a lot of cases you are watching a, an introduction video of a watch and that's what we are watching now as well only you don't get to see the watches after the video uh, in the flesh and um, another thing i miss is my uh, watch journalist journalist colleagues basically really those guys oh awful yeah, well, not all, but no, joking. <laughs> I think it's a very friendly, uh, friendly um, industry uh, to be working in, and um, yeah, I miss my uh, my watch colleagues. It's always nice to to uh, to catch up with them. And now we have to catch up digitally, be it with uh, direct messages or podcast interviews or uh, WhatsApps or whatever. But yeah, it's nice to see uh, because th- those are your colleagues. Basically, we work for different titles, but in the end, those are your. Uh, well, perhaps competitors, but I think in the, f- the first place, they are really colleagues as well. Yeah, it is something that we all miss greatly. And it's a very strange thing to have become so acclimatized to now. I feel we're so used to working digitally. I mean, 
we've been working together um, at Fratello for 15, 16 months now. And yet I've only been to The Hague a handful of times and uh, it's crazy. We, we should be sitting side by side and officers like passing watches between us and talking about these things in real life. And we haven't had the chance to do that yet. So I can't wait till the, the borders reopen and we're all able to go back to I guess something like we had before, I'm sure there'll be changes, but it will make analyzing the pieces we're about to talk about now a little easier, that's for sure. So we're going to break down the new releases of, well, three of the biggest or most hotly followed brands that are presenting at Watches and Wonders this year, and that's Patek Philippe, Rolex, and Tudor. So where should we begin, RJ? Yeah, let, let me first say that uh, I didn't see the Rolex in the flesh. We have, uh, 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 yesterday we had a meeting with Rolex in Brussels and our colleague Gerard went there. Today, our new colleague Lex Stolk uh, is there at Rolex and Tudor. And um, we also didn't see the Patex live yet. So it's mainly pictures, but I spoke to Gerard about the Rolexes. He also gave me some feedback. And we have the Tudors here in the office. So that's the only brand of these three that we have the watches uh, of uh, here today uh, not all um, they made the sets available and we have the black bay chronographs in black and in white interesting okay well let's start then with a bit of speculation because we haven't had them in our hands yet but let's start with the patex let's start at the very top of the pricing tree <laughs> yeah what what i found interesting is that um there was a rumor going on and it, it uh, apparently something that had been said to a journalist was that uh, the Nautilus will be out. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone jumped on it and started writing articles, uh, great clickbaits, by the way, um, that the Nautilus would be phased out and discontinued and so on. And you see immediately what, what happened to the prices of these of these watches. And... Uh, Surprise, surprise, there's a new Nautilus. And I know it's only for one year, so it's kind of limited. But um, yeah, it's a bit of the end game, it seems, for the Nautilus. So in that regard, all these articles were, um, uh, yeah, I think they were a bit uh, um, making a bit of assumptions here and there. But um, it seems to be the end of the Nautilus with this green model I mean, in steel. It's it's supposedly the end of this reference, right? But I mean, the end of the Nautilus. We, yeah, the steel Nautilus. I'm talking. Are about. we really the rest is, that? Uh, Do we really believe that? I mean, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of friendly speculation, mm. but I mean, like you say, you saw what happened to the prices of the previous iteration, the blue dial. So the story is that um, Patek doesn't feel comfortable anymore with with what's happening. Poor Patek. Um, yeah, poor Patek with the Nautilus and the steel Nautilus and the craze, so they want to stop it. And that that was the rumor, or apparently that what what had been said to one of the journalists. And uh, on the one hand, I can imagine because uh, it is totally crazy. I think it was 2018 that uh, a reader and friend of the show, uh, Ralph, uh, hello, Ralph. He ordered a Nautilus uh, 5711, and I think the list price just made a little hop that year. And I think he paid around 26 or 27K euro. And then the going price was already around 40K. But if you look at the prices today, it's 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 more than doubled for a steel 5711. And that's crazy. So on the one hand, I can imagine that as a brand, you feel responsible and you don't want this stuff to happen because you also see what happens to Rolex if it's not available and really high in demand and people get robbed and, and so on. Bad things happen. But 
I think as soon as you then introduce the discontinuation of a certain model, it perhaps it will become even more crazier. Oh, yeah. So would it just be better to produce more of these watches? Okay, so I mean, that's the easy answer that was on the tip of my tongue. Like, oh, why don't they just make more? And we know because, you know, we've worked in the industry a long time. We know how long these things take to make and how it isn't quite so easy to upscale production at the drop of a hat as we like to make out that it is as a solution to this problem. But it must be possible. I mean... If it took a huge investment on Patek's side to increase production to the point at which supply met demand, then, you know, they would be free of these, what I would term, vaguely moralistic concerns that seem to be motivating the discontinuation and thus sudden desirability of the Nautilus entirely. I just think, it's, yeah. I don't know, to me, that seems like a bit of a post hoc justification for a move that can not be anything other than calculated in the brand's best interests. And I don't believe that it will be the end of a steel Nautilus for good, at least. Maybe we'll have a bit of a hiatus, but just why? Just, no, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I think there'll be more to come after this. But let's talk about the one that is supposedly the last in the line, the 5711 in green. What did you think of the green itself? Well, you see a lot of green this week. We'll touch upon that later, I guess, and in, uh, in in upcoming episodes where we cover watches and wonders. But there's a lot of green going on. I don't mind the green. I just like the previous color a little bit better. Um, but yeah, it's a Nautilus with a green dial. What's more to say? I know they changed a few things. They changed the date window. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, it's a steel Nautilus with a green dial. And I have to say, uh, yeah, not that it's really important, but when I bought my Royal Oak 15202 many moons ago, um, I think 2008 or 2009, I was very, um, I I had a lot of uh, uh, difficulties making a proper decision. So I also had a look at the Nautilus. And at that time, the prices were roughly the same. Uh, List prices were very close at least. And um, I was able to borrow a 5711 for a week um, from a friend and um, I didn't like it it's not it's not a watch for me the the, the bracelet looks integrated but for me it didn't feel integrated interesting uh, like the like the Royal Oak does so that it, it and the watch looked too polished too smooth for me mm-hmm. while the Royal Oak was the raw thing it was how Genta meant it to be basically so I so I went for the Royal Oak so Always when it's about the Nautilus, I always have the feeling, yeah, but there's only like one real competitor to that watch, which is the Royal Oak, and that's the one that I prefer. So in the end, I don't really have an opinion about the Nautilus because I'm not that much into the Nautilus game at all. I've always preferred it to the Royal Oak. I think the Royal Oak is definitely the sportier of the two, and I know they're often like aligned next to one another as as almost direct corollaries, but there is a massive difference when you get them in hand and on the wrist. Yeah. You check out the profile, the Nautilus is, is, is super slim, much slimmer than I think people imagine when they look at it from the top down. And uh, given the fact that it, it has this slightly broad bezel in the ears, it wears a little bit smaller than its profile suggests that it might. But it's a, it's a very specific look. And um, maybe it does both worlds justice, or maybe it does neither. And I think it depends which side of, of that decision you come down on. You're obviously on the, on the more negative side towards it. I really, really like it. I think that the previous color that we've just said goodbye to the blue was was very nice um i like the sort of it was, wasn't really a, a a royal blue it was much more of a uh 
an ocean blue, shall we say, and the green takes yep. it too far away from yep. uh, from that. For me, it's a bit too olive, um, which is very popular at the moment, and I've written extensively on Fratello, of course, about how uh, how many brands are going for this color. I do like the change to the date font, which I noticed. Uh, I didn't see it commented on in many other um, media outlets, but the font has changed. You're so good. Eagle eye, baby. But I don't like yeah. the window. I don't like the window at all. I tell you, the thing that always bugged me about the 5711 was the black on white date. And I said this in the write-up yesterday when it launched. It's still there, and it's still a bit of an eyesore for me. In some ways, the window does soften that in a way you wouldn't mm-hmm. expect. And the new font certainly softens it because the old font, which was thinner but taller, really filled that window. And they always have the number 18 in that window for some reason. And the eight always looks like it's just really struggling to fit in there, which annoys me. Yeah. I prefer the yeah. old uh, white on black uh, dials, uh, date dials, um, and then mixed with either a sort of charcoal or really dark blue dial. So it integrates a lot better. If they did this version this modern version of that watch with like a uh, a deep blue or charcoal degradé and then the white on black date disc i would be all for it i would absolutely love it and i would be chasing one i'm sure but right now i'm just a little bit cool on this i preferred the travel time i thought that was really cool yes and uh don't get me wrong it's not that i dislike or hate the nautilus it's just when i see a nautilus i always immediately have to think oh royal oak or nautilus it's like this this pavlov reaction that i have to (laughs) to nautilus i guess (laughs) um but the travel time they introduced in gold with a a blue dial that's an amazing piece that's uh, something i like so we it has a bit more body to it and um yeah it's cool we assume that this is the direction patek wants to go with the nautilus line they want to go more complications. They want to go uh, precious metal cases, bracelets. Yeah. So this one, we expect to stick around for a little bit longer because it's the first time they've done this particular model in rose gold, right? And they have got a steel version of that. So maybe that one will go as well. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. It's um, I don't know what they think and how they think, but I think uh, they, they did do a nice job with this uh, 5990 uh, rose gold I think it's uh, it has a bit more body than the, the normal Nautilus, mm-hmm. and I also like the fact they put some uh, some nice complications in there. I think a, a travel time complication and a chronograph is really a, a great, I think, everyday complication that you can use. Um, yeah, beautiful watches. Um, I would love to see them in the flesh. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a patek um, distributor or patek office here in the netherlands um, so i have to wait until there's an event or uh, when they arrive here at the local patek dealer in uh, the hague and then i would love to have a have a look at them um, so yeah i think it was nice big news i think especially the steel one with the green dial i don't think anyone saw that coming and um, I also wonder what it will do to the craziness for the previous one, if it will continue to go crazy or that it will slow down a bit or let's see. I don't think there's any reason to expect it will slow down now. I mean, a lot of people will still prefer the blue dial to begin with and this green one is going to be flying off the shelves. And if there's only a year of it being in the catalog, then I think people will be tumbling over one another to get to it before the steel yeah. retires for at least no, we'll see. Yeah. All right, let's skip yeah. over to the Tudor then. Let's talk about the stuff you've actually got in the office. So how are these chronographs in real life? Um, I like them. Um, we have the ones on the uh, rift, rift bracelet, 
So we have the one with the uh, uh, panda dial and the inverted panda dial. So both uh, flavors, but both on the stainless steel bracelets. I have to say, I like the watch. It wears nicely on the wrist. It's quite thick, I have to say, but it was always the case with these uh, chronographs. But um, yeah, I think it looks good. It looks nice. I think the pricing is uh, quite spot on. I think just below 5,000 euros on the bracelet and then you can also pick one with a strap like a boon strap they have one and a fabric strap and then, then they are a bit cheaper like 4.6 or something yeah. 4.5 yeah 4630 yeah the bunt or the and jacket strap yeah yeah i like the watch i am a bit alone here in the office uh, to say that because uh, gerard was not much of a fan and bert thought they were a bit too uh, too uh, too thick but they always were thick also the big blocks well the name comes from somewhere right mm-hmm. um so yeah it suits the watch i like it uh, the price is really good i think um Nice. It just looks nice. The other ones I haven't seen in the flesh. Uh, Gerard saw them. Um, so they have one with in gold and they have one in a, with a silver uh, uh, case. And that to me was very interesting because as you know, the silver will really, uh, it will really show that you wear a silver watch, mm-hmm. but uh, they mixed it up with some stuff and they don't want to say what it is. Um, so they made it their own silver alloy basically. Sure. Um, that will keep it, uh, um, yeah, as it is, and it, that it doesn't uh, will show uh, much patina and so, so on. So it doesn't tarnish too much over time. This one is really interesting to me. But I love yep. sterling silver. All of my rings um, that I don't wear so often these days, but I, I have mm-hmm. a, a collection of them all in sterling silver. I just love the material. I like how warm it is. I like how it ages. And uh, I think there need to be more watches made out of sterling silver. I'm, yeah, I, I frequently like uh, entertain myself by imagining what watches would look like if they had been made in that material instead and this one for 4080 euros right mm-hmm. uh, on either a bright yep. leather strap or a uh, top fabric strap is yeah both look good it's yep. an interesting proposition and that you know it's a clever dial color and bezel choice i think because it's obviously designed to harmonize well with a slight aging of the material which as you say is probably going to be somewhat slow due to the unknown um what will it be seven point seven five percent is that how it was seven seven point five percent um of the alloy uh so i guess it must be some precious metal some noble metal yeah like palladium or something to slow it down. I th- yeah I, th- I told uh gerard he he, uh, he was there yesterday with tudor and they, so they didn't want to say but um i think it's palladium i think it's um often used to uh, to uh, to keep the material uh, protected Which basically would, it would make sense now because if you've seen the prices of palladium they've actually dropped below the prices of gold quite considerably quite considerably. yeah it's like half or something not even yeah, Which is yeah insane. you know five years ago yeah. you wouldn't have you would never have thought it but here we are so it makes sense yeah. from a cost perspective yeah. too. same for same for platinum it's also uh, um, lower it's but it's it's expensive to work on platinum mm. uh, same i guess goes for uh, palladium um the so I watched a video yesterday uh, during the presentation of Watches and Wonders, and I have to uh, I have to share this with you. I don't know if you saw the presentation, but um, during the presentation of these new divers, they said, um, "Yeah, we we did something uh, very um, amazing. Now we introduce a see-through case back on a diver's watch. Imagine a diver's watch where you can see the movement." 
I thought, really? <laughs> <laughs> Hardly groundbreaking, is it? <laughs> yeah. I, it's nice because the movements are nice. Uh, for me, it's also a bit... Um, I think these movements are new that are inside. And I wondered whether these are like in-house movements or the movements that they did with... Um, what is it? The the Canacy, um Yeah. Yeah, because they're uh, they're shareholder of Canacy, but uh, they couldn't tell us at Tudor, so I don't know. <laughs> well, it's described as the in-house chronometer certified caliber MT5400, which yeah. uh, seems pretty clear yeah. in what they're what they're saying there. That's uh, got a 70-hour power reserve, which is a really nice yeah. really nice addition. Yeah. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah. So let's assume they are made in-house and whether then they consider Canacy as in-house because they're shareholder, I don't know. I think they but, probably um, do now. I think that anything coming out of Casey yeah. would be called in-house from Tudor, yeah. Yeah. So it was a bit unclear and they, they couldn't tell us uh, as well. They were not uh, um, up to date, I guess. Um, and then the last one is in gold, 18 karat yellow gold with green. Again, green. Um, and I have to say green and gold is an awesome combination. I love it with the gold GMT Master two that they did a while ago mm-hmm. i think it was featured in a in a movie with uh, was it brad pitt oceans 12 or something i don't know um then there is a day date with a green dial that i really um uh, like and omega did um the new deville tresor in yellow gold with a green dial which i also like so i think green and gold is like looks proper it was really proper. That's a classic nice. combination. Of course, I definitely agree with the day-date nod that you uh, mentioned there. That's a really nice watch. I tried that one on a couple of times, but didn't have um, $31,500 kicking around in my uh, in my jean pockets, unfortunately, so I couldn't mm-hmm. buy it. This new one from Tudor, though, I, oh, I do not like it at all. I do not like that shade of green. Um, for me, it needs <laughs> to be darker. Um, I don't know. Yeah. If, I've not seen it in real life, so you know, forgive me if I'm if I'm wrong here, but all of the, all of the lifestyle shots I've seen of it... Um, it looks even even less harmonious than it does on the stage press shots to me. It's a golden green dial, got a weird kind of particulation to it. It integrates well with the mm-hmm. case, but too yellowy all over for me. I, I want a rich British racing green if I'm going to have it next to gold. So hard pass, yeah. but I'll take the silver case Black Bay in a, in a heartbeat. That's gorgeous. Fair, fair. Now of all, uh, so these models that we saw, I think I prefer the, the Chronograph anyway. Interesting, interesting. I mean, yeah. it's a bit of a it's a bit of a marmite watch, isn't it? It's such a slab on the wrist. It can, yeah, yeah um, not for everyone, but I, I do like it. Then, last but not least, we have Rolex. Definitely not least. What, this is the big news. <laughs> Definitely not least. Well, okay, after the Nautilus, maybe. But what do you think? What do you think of the new stuff? Um, yeah, I might be a bit too vocal about it because I think that. Um, a lot of Rolex enthusiasts and fans that had high hopes might look a bit um, disappointed. Um, well, what did we think was ex- going to happen? What did we think might have happened? Well, you saw you, you have some 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 uh, some of our colleagues uh, colleague titles. They do these uh, assumptions every year, predictions. Um, you saw it all over the place. Also, some some uh, some. Uh, Photoshop genius uh, Instagram accounts, and they they do mock-ups of all sorts of watches that they want to come out, and they do this every year. But then in the end, they don't come out with these watches. Rolex does their own thing, their own stuff. They don't seem to listen to anyone. Uh, some people think it's a super clever uh, clever strategy. I think that they just don't listen and do their stuff, basically. Um, so they came with an Explorer 2. Everyone was uh, expecting a new Explorer 2, but with a ceramic dial or different colors or whatever. But 
nothing of that. It's <laughs> it's just a, a case update like they did with the Submariner uh, last year. And they equipped the Explorer 2 with uh, the new movement, not a new movement, but the new movement for the um, uh, extra hour hand. The same movement as in the current GMT2. The bracelet became a bit wider. Uh, Gerard saw the watch yesterday and he thinks that the hands are also a little bit wider, but could also be like an uh, optical illusion. Um, and then I think the biggest surprise uh, was the fact that uh, the Explorer went back to 36 millimeter and is now available in two versions. One in the stainless steel that they always had until, I don't know, 2010 or 2011. And they have one in Rolizor, which is Rolex's word for bicolor. And uh, this one is obviously um, caught all the headlines because the Explorer 2 updates are really minor and yeah. from an aesthetic perspective. They're tweaks and they bring that watch in line with some of the other collections, but uh, nothing nothing to write home about, really. If you like that model, you'll probably still like the yep. new one. Um, good news, really, from a pricing perspective, too. The increase for this new movement is only a couple of hundred euros. It, obviously, the price yep. is slightly different depending on where you are on the VAT. Yep. For you, it's yeah. gone up from, what was it, 7.9 to 8.1? Yeah, so we have the 21% VAT here in the Netherlands, and it increased with 200 euros. So I guess the increase is more or less everywhere the same, but uh, I think the total price might be a bit different due to the VAT difference. Yeah, I noticed yesterday, shortly after the watch was announced, when I went on the Rolex.com, where I am in Germany here, where we have um, 19% uh, average, do you? Um, oh, wow. Lucky you. I know, lucky us. It was still 7750 uh, until until today, and now it's gone up to 7950 oh. which still makes it, as I said a couple of weeks ago on a previous podcast, I think one of the better value Rolexes uh, in the current collection, because let's face it, the GMT Master 2 is 9,000 euros where I am, and it's the same yeah. movement. So, yeah, a nice one. And you can't get it. And you can't get it. But, I mean, <laughs> good luck getting one of these Explorer 2s as well. I think they're going to be pretty sought yeah. after at that price. It's interesting because um, um, we did a video on the Yardmaster a few weeks ago, and they can be picked up cheap because nobody really cares for them. And I think for a long time, it was the same for the Explorer 2. It's a nice watch, good value for money, but for a long time, you could even get them below list. Mm -hmm. And um, I wrote an article about it last Tuesday, and it was published Tuesday evening, I think. And um, I was amazed by the steep price increases based on all these rumors, I guess, that they on the pre-owned market uh, Explorer 2 of the previous one, so the uh, 42 millimeter, mm -hmm. um, is around 10K. Um, and that, that amazed me a bit because it was never really a much sought after watch. But I guess that's not a nice thing to say, but it also feels like it was a bit of the, the leftover watch. If you can't get a sub or GMT, you settle then for an Explorer 2. Um, and I think that they, they also got traction and increased in price. I think if I look at the regular Explorer, uh, I never really warmed up to the 39 millimeter because I felt that the design ratio was a bit off. Um, they made a, a like a faulty one in the first few years with uh, the hands that were too short and then they corrected it at some point. Um, but the 36 millimeter is like almost my perfect steel sport Rolex. For me, it's a bit too small. Uh, my wife has one, but um, that's like, for me, one of the most beautiful looking stainless steel sport Rolex watches, the 36 millimeter Explorer. So I'm glad that it's back, but they also did one in gold steel. And with that watch, I think 
this might be the beginning of the end of the waitlist era. Ha! Huh. I mean, that is um, that is uh, not the uh, most positive criticism to take away from that watch release, shall we say. Um, yeah, this one should be available. It's a shade over 10,000 euros. And, yeah, uh, I don't get it. It's a bit honest. of an incongruous design about, you know, I, I find this, this one a bit strange. So... Yeah. You know, you were talking about those mock-ups that our, our friends from other titles like to do, and the predictions were all about this Explorer 2 with a, a ceramic bezel, which I thought made no sense whatsoever, given the fact that the Explorer 2 is designed for spelunkers or cave cavers, yeah. cave explorers, if you will. And mm-hmm. a ceramic bezel um, versus hard jutting rocks is not so good. Okay, yeah, ceramic is scratch-proof, but it also has a tendency to chip if it is bashed around too much. And the, the dinged steel bezels of well-used Explorer 2s are one of the nicest things about that model, I think, and it makes you feel like you really can beat it um, to within an inch of its life and it still like look good and perform its function. Here we have an Explorer in 36 an Explorer 1, as I sometimes call it, although I know it's officially just the Explorer, just to distinguish between the Explorer 2 in case everybody's confused, the Explorer 1 in 36 uh, millimeters is really, really nice and was always a great, legible, handy, you know, reliable watch to have with you on your adventures outdoor. But do you really need gold with that watch? Does it make any sense? Like with a dive watch, you can argue that it does make sense to have a gold dive watch because of its corrosion resistance to salt water. But where is the relevance for the golden i don't know exactly what it is because a few years ago they did a sea dweller and i'm a, a bit of a sea dweller fan myself they did the sea dweller in uh, in steel and gold and that was already uh, like a shocker to me but then i also thought perhaps i'm just too too long around with these watches and that i'm perhaps a bit stuck into what's classic and what what they once were and perhaps that also changes uh, over time of course so why not a gold steel sea dweller but and that that didn't look bad i have to admit the sea dweller in gold steel doesn't look bad it was just against my i don't know it it, it um, i got a, like a bit of a shortcut in my uh, in my head when looking at that um with the explorer i i just feel it's it's it doesn't look good uh, but i have to say it's based on what i see on pictures and not in the flesh, because uh, Gerard, he tried the Explorer in Bicolor yesterday, and he said, on the wrist, it's not that bad. And he was really com- complaining up front, and when he was there and had it on the wrist, he said, it's not that bad. And the funny thing is, I want to add this, um, it seems that Rolex decides on which markets gets to see what. So we were there yesterday, and they showed us a number of watches that they think are suitable for our market. So they showed us the Explorer 2 in with a white dial. There's also a black dial. They showed us the Bicolor Explorer uh, 1 or 36. Uh, and there's also a steel one. And then they showed us only the yellow gold Daytona with meteorite dial. But they did have the other watches, but they were on display behind glass and we were not allowed to photograph them. Why? So, so they really they really dictate journalists what to take pictures of and what to show and what not. It's to me that it's it's super awkward. Well, if you want to if you want an even clearer example of what they want the focus to be shone upon, let's uh, let's just have a look at those date justs that were released because in the article I wrote announcing that release for Fratello, I made a big deal about this blue dial uh, reference. Oh, one, two, six, two, three, four. I think it is. It's, it's the blue fluted dial, which you can get 
in a roller saw, white roller saw case, so you know, mm-hmm. Jubilee bracelet and a white gold fluted bezel. It's not in the press release. It's not been announced. It's just there on the website. I was fiddling around with configurator. You know, yeah. configurator. S- same with the uh, with the GMTs in steel are now also available with uh, with oyster bracelet again. Right, which is two. So if you yeah. are one of those guys that just spent fifteen or sixteen k in the pre owned market or gray market on a Rolex, Pepsi, or Batman, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, you're not a happy bunch. I f- I, pit- I, I, f- I feel for you, man. I really do. <clears throat> but like like you say, Rolex are controlling the narrative by showing you which watches you can take pictures of and which watches you should talk about the most. But it doesn't stop us from like finding out these these hidden updates and uh, no, because yeah. the internet is like a. A worldwide thing, man. It is amazing. I had no idea. Anyway, now we've shared with that worldwide interweb thing that you talked about that I don't understand, this blue fluted dial. I think that that is a real peach and a real classic. I mean, talk about controversy with the the palm dials that they released with the green and the silver and rose gold and whatever. You you want to hear my take? I would love to hear your take, but remember, we can't beep out expletives. We don't have it on the soundboard, so... Oh, okay. Keep it... it Um, I don't. I, I liked the the datas that you talk about <clears throat> with the blue uh, motif. With the um, I also the, the palm one is not even half bad. It reminded me of the curtains that we had uh, back home in 1979. The days, but yeah, the days. But um, they're not half bad. But it's printed. It's not a motif. So some people commented on a website. They said, "Oh, Rolex is going a bit the, the Grand Seiko." direction with their dials with all these different things well that's not entirely the case because i think rolex had a really cool thing going on with the tapestry dials tuxedo dials mm-hmm. and dials with different motives uh tiga auga dials mm-hmm. and so on and so on um but these dials are printed and that's what what um choose your words yeah what bugs me a bit it annoys me a bit very PG-13. Yeah. I'm impressed. <laughs> you managed to get out of that one. Yes, it's slightly annoying, shall we say, um, King. Yeah. Uh, I did expect them to be at least like laser engraved, but... <laughs> yeah, some kind of structure should be in there, but it's just flat. It's like a decal, like a sticker. I don't know. So I, 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 these palm dials, they're going to catch the uh, headlines because they're so arresting and so different and deliberately divisive. But those fluted dials the gold one as well as the blue they i think really do have a lot of potential to become uh, quite desirable classics and you might even be able to buy one of those in the shops in the early months until people catch on to how good they are in real life yeah could be i don't know uh, for me it was a bit of a letdown that it's just printed and not uh, that it doesn't have like a proper structure or motive because then it lacks a bit of a depth on the on the dial yeah maybe next time. and talking about depth um the last thing I want to say about Rolex, and that I actually did like, I'm not a Daytona fan by any means. I think uh, uh, some of the readers and listeners know why. Um, for me, it's the, the layout of the dial that I don't like, mm-hmm. that the subdials uh, on 9 o'clock and 3 o'clock are uh, centered higher than the center pinion. And that for me is just uh, it's my autistic me, I guess, that I can't handle those things. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, but, but, but I like meteorite dials because I think, and the Daytona is, I think, exclusive or not, not unique. It's exclusive due to the price tag, I guess. And by the fact that you can't buy them, even if you have the money, you need to wait or be on a wait list and buy some other stuff first before you are allowed to buy one. Mm -hmm. But by having one with a meteorite dial, I think it makes it even more exclusive and exclusive, like in a proper way, because all these dials are unique basically. And, um, 
yeah, you have something from outer space. And <laughs> I like that idea. That concept is just super nice. And despite the fact that I'm not a, not a Daytona guy, I do like these meteorite dials. I think that's a really nice step. And it's not the first time because they had a GMT with meteorites. I think they, they had a Daytona before. Mm-hmm. Not sure if it was the Zenith Daytona or one of the early in-house movement Daytonas, but there was a meteorite Daytona before. I'm pretty sure, but these ones look, uh, pretty awesome yeah i totally agree with you i also am not a huge daytona fan at all for similar reasons and i I don't really like the modern iterations with the ceramic bezels i find them a bit too in your face um i also don't like the oyster bracelet and always go for watches on jubilee when it comes to rolex if i can but this one is really really cool the white gold version um 31,850 euros in the german market so i guess it's just uh just over 32 33 for you up in the netherlands but it does something to the dial um it really it really makes it a lot lot better it really adds that kind of character that i find the modern daytona collection is lacking a little bit i know ben hodges will probably kill me but i love it on the oyster flex bracelet as well they call it a bracelet don't they even though it's a metal bladed uh rubber strap or whatever you want to uh it's an oyster flex it's a strap yeah. yeah it's really really nice really really nice um great combination super sporty um you know sometimes like the meteorite trend is a little bit like the blue and green thing like it it starts off in a small way and then people everybody and their dog apply it to every single watch going and it doesn't often work it's just like oh you have to have a meteorite watch well relics didn't have to do that with the daytona but they did thankfully because it really does improve the standard model by a mile in my opinion it actually makes it into like a a piece of art um it's an expensive watch it's not one i'm ever going to try and get into my collection but i do think it was a worthwhile addition and probably the most exciting uh, news of the day yeah what is your uh, most favorite um, special rolex dial could be one from now but also uh, from the past well, i'm a big fan of the linen dials um but i think my favorite one i'm not sure of the technical term for it but i call it corrugated there was a, a, a very brief era um i believe in the mid to late 80s when uh, roller saw date justs were being made with these kind of off-white corrugated dials uh, so vertical lines um with a real ridged really pronounced ridge pattern they just that for me is the is the golden no pun intended golden era of the date just um still with without sapphire uh crystals and uh, a real warmth to the whole design i absolutely adore it that would be my my favorite special dial what about you cool um well i like these meteorite dials but 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 um a few years ago i think the last basel world actually um where rolex was 2019 i guess um they also introduced a day date and they didn't show it to us uh, because probably for other markets i don't know they said i asked about it because it was in the window and they said no we, we don't show that because it's just a dial change so we don't show it as a novelty but there was a day date with a marble dial wow like this white with this uh i don't know how you call them the structure that you have in marble like a darker gray and almost yeah, black like veins we would we would like veins yeah yeah exactly i thought it was awesome and it really suits a proper day date yeah nice you know funnily enough i don't think i've seen that model myself in real life but i think i have seen fakes of it i think i've seen a couple of companies that like to uh, imitate that style and it really does look very very nice from uh, from what i can see good choice yeah so yeah we're gonna round up the show today but we will be back again i guess tomorrow right rj yeah you should yeah 
Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Perhaps uh, us too. Perhaps we'll ask someone else. We'll see. But um, we will brief you tomorrow on some more watches from this week. Watches and Wonders. And of course, Breitling, who had their introduction on Tuesday. And uh, Swatch had an introduction on Tuesday. And I have it here. It's the big bolt. And I, I think I want to mention some words uh tomorrow or the day after about this new watch yeah that sounds awesome i can't wait to dig into uh to all of that news and there's going to be lots more we dealt with the big three um talking points today didn't we really and we're going to be going a little bit more off base in the coming days and sharing some of our favorites so until then we look forward to seeing you thanks thanks for listening goodbye